It's so good to be with you. I love coming up to the Norris. I'm going to be doing a lot more Norrising stuff in the future. And it's just good to bask in your presence, just to be with the River Church. I often, I see a lot of you, I study a lot. As you know, I'm a professor full-time and I do a lot of research. And on my on days where I don't have to be out at the university, I spend time like in Starbucks or Pete's Coffee. And the greatest thing about it is after you're there, I've seen a few of you. How many of you seen me there before? couple of you. Yeah, buy me a coffee, huh? Next time you see me, I'll put a gift card. I don't know, whatever. I'm kidding. Um, don't do that. But after being in Starbucks for a couple hours, you leave and you kind of smell like Starbucks, right? So you have that smell. So I kind of smell like the river after a full day of preaching, and it's a good smell. So there, that's not an opening. That's not an intro. I just wanted to say that. This is a, I'm not transitioning into text after that. Um, but it is great to be up here. We're in Joshua. We are cruising through this big narrative of Joshua, sixth book in the Bible, the story in which God takes his people, Israel, formerly a slave nation for 400 years and moves them into the land, moves them into the promised land. And it's been an exciting, exciting journey so far. Uh, and this week we're looking at Joshua, the last part of Joshua 10, all the way through 12, And um, I'm going to say something you're not going to hear from a pastor very often. You ready for that? This is something, this is one of my least favorite passages in all of the Bible. Yeah, let that one, sit on that one for a minute. This is one of my least favorite passages in all the, I, I love the Bible. I love it. I teach it. I spent my whole life sort of committed to this sacred tradition of ours. And this is just one of those chunks that's just like, boy, how are you going to preach this? Like, how are you? And Todd, while I have you here, uh, it seems like this is becoming something of a theme every time I preach. So last time I was preaching on circumcision. And then right before Christmas, if you recall, right, literally the week of, it would be Christmas on Friday or whatever day was Christmas. I got the chance to preach. Christmas is my favorite time of the year. You all know this if you know me at all. And I was preaching on crucifixion. Next week's going to be awesome. It's the story of Caleb. It's the story of a, a, an individual with such big faith, late in life, going after mass. That's going to preach, Todd. Yes, it is. So next week's going to be great. This week, this week, it's like a scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's just, there's not a lot of ways of making this thing sexy and palatable and smell good. It's a difficult text. And if you're going to be honest with your sacred tradition, which I think every, everyone committed to being a follower of Jesus, has to get honest with their own tradition. This is one of those chapters, it's like that weird uncle you don't want to really introduce anybody to. You hope he just sits there and smiles, and no one really notices him. And then you watch your friend in a conversation, like, oh no, oh no, what's he talking about now? This is one of those particular passages that's tough. Uh, It makes me feel a little bit less guilty for watching The Walking Dead, so that's good. But... But what I'm going to do with it, here's what we're going to do. And I, I, preparing it, to be honest with you, was something of a grappling match, right? And you can ask my wife about this. I'm just, I get through, okay, I think I'll do this. Ah, how am I going to preach this? And as of yesterday, last night, I'm sitting in my living room. I think I have the message. I'm juggling it around. I'm just going, how am I going to preach this text? So bless you, Todd, once again. Bless you and thank you. Uh, next week is going to be so good. But here's what I'm going to do. We are going to look at... Uh, rather than walking through the entire text of chapter 10 all the way through chapter 12, we're going, I'm going to highlight, I'm going to give you a summary of what's going on, and, and then I want to take an honest evaluation or an honest look 
at the challenge of this passage, which is the conquest. This is one of those passages. If you're looking over the fence at Christianity today going, what do these weirdos do? First of all, we don't start our eight-hour ritual chant until after the service. So you can come down for that. No, we don't do that. Um, if you're wondering what, what you know, you're looking at us, what is this all about? Um, we are people of the book, big time. We're people with the sacred tradition that we're looking at. But that text, that book, has a lot of stuff in there. And most of it is incredibly gorgeous to our 21st century perspective. It's just like, yeah, I love it. But then there are some passages that I wanted. I shot an email when the Joshua series was brought up. I go, hey, Todd, do we really got to do Joshua? Can we do something else, maybe? Because to me, I'm even uncomfortable with this idea of God commissioning an army to go in and kill in a real thorough way a people. That's troubling, okay? So we're going to take a minute and actually sort of look at that um, and, and some thoughts, a few thoughts I have on violence, particularly this divinely incited violence uh, in our tradition. We're going to take a quick look at that, and then... Um, I'm going to share with you and um, reflect on something that did indeed begin to sing in the text. Something that really began to sing to me as I'm reading through it. That was actually pretty powerful, beautiful, and and, uh, I think important for all of us, myself especially. So we'll we'll, we'll sort of then relish that portion of it. And then we're going to have an experiment. Believe me, it's going to be cool. And if you have... Uh, been given one of these on your way in uh it'll all make sense soon if you don't have one i'll have my lovely assistant chris iomo pass them out later and he's looking even better this week than he was last week so um yeah you're in for a real treat there um so what happened in uh joshua 10 through 12 now those of you that don't really read your bible you're intrigued like what's in there i gotta read this now um, essentially, it's a story of the conquest and the southern campaigns. Most of chapter 10 deals with the southern campaigns of Joshua and the Israelites making their way into um, uh, Israel. And uh, there are these five kings that basically are in a coalition to try to fight against this nomadic people. They find themselves losing. They hide in the cave. What better place to go than hiding in the cave? And Joshua finds out there in the cave and says, eh, put up some uh, stones. We'll leave them in there for a while and finish our campaign. Finish the campaign. Get back out. They say, hey, kings, come on out. We're going to kill you publicly and then put your bodies on a tree so everyone can see it. You're not going to see a VeggieTales on that one anytime <laughs> soon. And... And then chapter 11 de- details out the northern campaigns as they move north and uh, take several different cities. And then it ends in chapter 11 with this really beautiful passage, and you're really longing for it if you're like me, which is, and there was rest from war in the land. You're like, oh, goodness gracious. And then 12, all of chapter 12 is basically a list. It's a, it's a recapping of all the conquests that went on. And it lists from, from top to bottom what has just happened. And as I will reflect on in a little bit, what has just happened should never have happened in, in terms of human abilities, in terms of the, the people of Israel and their military prowess. It should not have happened. It was, it was pretty remarkable and mind-blowing. But this passage, like I said, it's, it's a troubling one, and I could easily dance around it, but my thing, um, personally, this might not be yours, and bless you if it's not yours. My sort of challenge, ongoing challenge, is I, I, I sort of 
I cogitate on things too much. I think about things over and over and over and over, and I struggle. So my growing up in high school, I wasn't a big partier. That came later in life, in my 30s. Now I'm really in my party zone. But at that time, I wasn't really... I wasn't really uh, uh, into that. I was, though, dealing with intellectual doubt. That was my biggest thing, was I just, I would have deep struggles with how does science and the scriptures go together, and what do we do with the problem of evil, or the the, the questions that uh, so many of us have as to why would God allow such suffering in this world, or um, what the heck are humans, and, and how am I to think about our destiny, and I, I would have these really big questions about troubled passages. So if you're like me, I can't just walk by this and go, that's weird, let's keep going. Let's find a good spiritual nugget and preach it, right? i got to stop and I have to look at it for a minute. And so what I'd like to do, this might be totally boring, if so, Bill, you could take that nap at any point when we're going, as can all of you, enjoy the retreat of boredom. Boredom, by the way, is a rare commodity these days. With our phones, we're constantly stimulated. Boredom, they're going to have boredom ranches, I think, at one point, that you could just pay $1,000 to just go be bored, just wander around. I'm bored. Boy, this is weird. I'm just bored. So if this is boring to you, you're welcome for that gift. Um, but I wanted to give you a few thoughts on violence, on violence. Like, first of all, God does not love violence. It's not something that he's excited about. Right? If you, we had a rainbow today at the beach service, full-blown rainbow as I'm preaching about this passage. So, uh, that's interesting. Um, and if you think about the Hebrew narrative of the flood, and in the ancient Near East, there was all kinds of Mesopotamian and Sumerian flood narratives. There's a bunch of different ones. Most of those flood narratives go something like this. The gods are hanging out, and Inki says to Ani, I don't like the noise these humans are making. I can't sleep, I can't drink, I can't do anything. Let's flood them, and they flood them. Right? And this is like one of the reasons. Or a lot of the ancient Near Eastern um, uh, uh, cosmologies and flood narratives talk about, it just happened. Yeah, there was a flood. If you actually read the Hebrew Bible, which is written in the contemporaneous, uh, sort of contemporaries of many of these, if you read the Hebrew Bible's account of the flood, it has a very specific reason why this happened. It was that human beings had become so increasingly violent that God says, I just can't deal with this. The violence is so nasty. Teach World Civ, um, I, I, have, I did for years. And if you take my World Civ 1 class, as I've mentioned in here before, you are going to see uh, empire after empire after empire oppressing, enslaving, and relinqu- uh, uh, using, utilizing violence um, in, in just really gratuitous, massive ways. So God's not stoked on violence. That's definitely something we should walk away from um, uh, with clear in our heads. Actually, uh, the first point I'll... I'll, I'll um, outline, and you can listen to this online later uh, to try to track all I'm about to say, because I might read a few things. First point I want to say uh, is that God does indeed, according to our sacred narrative, God works in a broken system. God works in a broken system. This is a similarity, by the way. Every world religion uh, or, or sort of major worldview that I've encountered or uh, when I was uh, teaching uh, courses in UCLA on intro to religion, this is not just like a Christian dude telling you this. This is just as religious studies will tell you. Almost every religion grapples with the question, what's wrong or what's missing? There's a sense, right, that something ain't right. Everyone seems to have it across the human experience. Something ain't right. The, where the differ is what ain't right and what fixes it. And, and is there, is there uh, ultimate reality or a God that's involved in that process somehow? So the, our story, our large story, says something like this. Humanity was created perfectly. 
The story that we hear about the garden, the story of God in harmony with man, man in harmony with one another, and humans in harmony with the earth itself. The earth itself. There's this really beautiful poetic images of initial pristine creation. And the scriptures rush to the question, burning in the minds of everybody, which is, what went wrong? What happened? Why do do things seem to just be troublesome right now? And the answer uh, in Genesis 3 is, initially human beings, with with our volition and will, ball up our fists and go, no, God, I'll do it my way, not your way. Or I'll do it mostly your way, but a little my way. And this rupture takes place. And God and human relationships have become severed. And human beings, we see the first murder, the first act of violence comes in the next chapters. And there, in earth itself, there's this big problem. So our big story says that God is right now working in a broken system. And God in His perfect wisdom and brilliance has chosen to work within a broken system to bring about renewal of all things. That's, that's a fascinating and really important piece that God did not abandon his um, rebellious creation, but indeed says, no, I'm, I insist on re- renewing all things. We call it new creation or renewing all things, bringing things back to shalom, to peace, to rightness. And as he enters in to do that work, he enters into a broken system. And like a doctor setting a bone, like a doctor setting a bone, at times what may seem like gratuitous violence is momentary, though not less serious, pain. That is, I think when we do see these glimpses, and Joshua is pretty much the biggest one. There are a couple other passages that can be kind of troublesome. But Joshua is the toughest piece where we see divinely involved violence. That idea that it's not all over salvation history, but there are moments where God is doing something, and indeed it is painful, and it seems difficult and gratuitous, but it is momentary, and it is not indeed um, this ongoing part of God's nature, that he just likes to go, zap! Let's hurt these people, right? This is a, a peace in time. That's one thought that I want you to sort of rattle around or I think about it. Uh, and these are, again, again, things that help me think about this kind of violence. Second, Israel uh, was not an imperial power. You have to remember that. This isn't some imperial bully rolling in like the Roman Empire with all their might and supremacy and, and basically picking up a province and going, yeah, that would look nice for us. Let's crush them. Let's get in there and let's not just destroy them. Let's rape and let's pillage and let's just enjoy our superiority and power. This is not what is happening in the conquest. Indeed, God has given very specific direction as to what they can and cannot do and what they are and are not allowed to touch or be involved with. Um, Israel is doing this as a group of wandering former slaves. 400 years of their history was enslaved, literally owned by other individuals. Property, pieces of equipment. No one can remember a grandpa or great-grandpa or great-great-grandpa that was not indeed enslaved. These are the people, and then brought out by the hand of God against all odds, wandering around a hot, dry wilderness for 40 years. This is not like the Spartans. This is not the U.S. Um, uh, Air Force or um, some amazing imperial power. And all this, we have to remember, their victory 
um, they were not sort of imperial bullies. Okay, C, or, or three if you're counting that way. The conquest, this conquest passage is a tile in a much larger mosaic of salvation history. It is a tile in a much larger mosaic of salvation history. And that is, we cannot, as we read Scripture, this is just tips for those of you that want to think through, how do we read this big, beautiful, uh, sacred tradition of ours? How do we work with, uh, it's really an anthology of all different kinds of genres and stories throughout throughout thousands of millennia. It was written... um, in three different languages, and how do we how do we read this well? Um, one thing is, it's important. Yeah, you can get in on that tile and kind of focus in on exactly what happened and the violence, and 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 oh my goodness, uh, 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 it was this is troubling. But if you do that, you put your blinders on and you don't see uh, from whence it came, namely God's creating a pristine universe and human beings. Uh, as I say sometimes, peeing in the pool of humanity, essentially bringing the problem unto ourselves and God working in that system. If you don't see that, you're missing something. And you cannot read Joshua. You cannot read it without seeing the other Yeshua. The other Yeshua, namely Jesus, right? The culminating revelation of God's character. The culminating big reveal of this is who God is, and this is what God cares about, and this is how God is bringing about this monumental salvation and redemption. So we have to read that tile in light of the larger story. Painful? Yes. You fixate and you focus on it, and worse yet, if you use that tile to legitimate violence in the name of God, you have completely missed the picture that God has painted and done incredible violence. And by the way, has that happened in history? Oh, you better believe it's happened. There's been plenty of times, I think of Constantinian Christianity in the 4th century, where, yeah, these kinds of stories were used to say, see, God's on our side as a nation. Let's go fight and kill people. Um, and, of course, the Crusades in the Middle Ages with some atrocious violence. This needs to be read uh, in the larger picture of salvation history. Uh, last one, okay, last piece that I want to uh, talk about this, and then you can wake up from your slumber or daydream and come back to us. Uh, last piece is, and it's more of an emotional to me, it's more of an emotional comfort, even if it's not a complete, I'm not completely satisfied in my brain about the Joshua Conquest. I don't feel totally great. I still am troubled by them. This is the biggest emotional con- uh, comfort. And that is God's solidarity with our suffering. While no neat answers present themselves when we consider the Joshua conquest, we can never forget that God became man, dwelt with us, and was shamed, tortured, and brutally executed by us. Humanity crushed Jesus. And so for me, as I look at this tile and this mosaic, and I'm troubled And I go, why the suffering? How the suffering? Or as I look around my world today, and I see the pain of the refugees, or I hear the cries of folks dealing with deep disease that I don't understand why they're not healed from it, I can look over to a cross where God incarnate suffers and is shamed and is naked and is alone and is crushed in solidarity with our pain. He understands it fully. He is not a distant, malevolent kid doing a science project burning ants. He is indeed 
entered into the violent problem again, according to our narrative, we brought to the table. He jumps into it. Indeed, is crushed by it and raised again, bringing new creation. So those are some thoughts as I approach this troubled section. Um, some things that help me think about it. So I hope they're helpful to you. If not, uh, there are a lot of folks doing great work on this, and you can talk to me some point. I'll, I can point out some resources, or Bill, or Todd, or um, a matter number of people. So I'm reading through the whole chunk of Scripture, wondering how am I going to preach this? What do I do with this? Lord, and, I'm, and Bray goes, I'm getting frustrated, and Bray does her best thing in the world, which is, James, you just, I want you just to go be with God and pray about it. And I don't need to! i got to figure it out! Go be with God and pray about it. Come on, Bray! So spiritual and wise and, and beautiful. And so I did that. And as I'm reading through it again and again, um, uh, as I said earlier, um, an observation from the text begins to raise its voice. I start seeing something in there that I go, whoa, that's pretty profound. Not only is it profound, but it kind of sums up the entire Joshua narrative. And indeed, it touches on a prevalent theme in the entire Bible. So in the Southern Conquest, it's going on. Uh, military action, success is being brought. And there's this little verse in Joshua 10.42. This little important, powerful verse. It says something like this. All the kings and lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. You read through the northern conquest in Joshua 11. And there's these little verses like Joshua 11.8, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. And multiple times, the story emphasizes things like, the Lord delivered, the Lord gave, the Lord moved. It's the title of the sermon, the big, fat, beautiful God moves. Times in which God moves His weight, His sovereignty, His power for His people to bring about something that never should have happened. Logically, a conquest of that size, a victory from a people that beleaguered, beaten, with a, a, a history they could look to with no sense of real deep pride, but instead, yeah, we were owned for 400 years. How are we going to draw on that for any kind of power? Where is our God? How did this happen? How did they achieve this way too big thing? The Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And this principle saturates our scriptures. I could recount a dozen, well, dozens of places where we see this principle repeated in different forms and times throughout history and into the New Testament. And this principle being God's love for His children and God's fatherly generosity. God's fatherly Generosity, whatever your experience was or lack thereof uh, with the Father. We have to hear it from our sacred tradition and from the mind and heart of Jesus as He explains, let me tell you what my Father is like. Let me tell you what He is like. That's the primary metaphor used to describe our God as a Father. His favor for His children and His love for them. And the power that resides in God. Um, I'll just, I just want to mention a couple and then we'll do an experiment. Um, 
Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Uh, this is Paul of Tarsus writing to a group of first century um, uh, believers um, throughout the Western Asia Minor, but focusing on Eph- Ephesus, which is a great little beach community, much like ours. And he says this, he goes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in, in, in your insides, in your inner person, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend. Now, this is His prayer. I pray that you will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. And that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So he prays literally. I pray that that you get more bandwidth, more terabyte space, more cloud space to be able to even start comprehending the love of God for you and the power of God for you. And then he says this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That, all, that more than we can ask or expect. I mean, the fact that you have a 400 years enslaved nomadic people who have no home court advantage, definitely, they have no tactical advantage, they have no real martial uh, history where they're like a warlike people or something. That's definitely not them. They're a priestly people with a god, one god, not a pantheon of war gods, one god, uno. That's not the name of God, that's Espanol. One. More than you can abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Paul's point is that big God favor and work on our behalf is not limited to some some portion of space-time where it was, okay, that's all, it's extinguished now. We'll see you in heaven. We'll see you at the new heavens and new earth, whatever. No, it's this thing that is indeed operating and even indeed here today to be tapped into more abundantly than we ask or think. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Here's a good passage for all of us, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known by all. The Lord is near. It says, be anxious for nothing. How many of you know this one? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Through what? Through planning and strategy? Through think tanks and... Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Yeah, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Isn't that a crazy little piece there? It's like, it's like Lord, I thank you, Lord. I just, I pray, Lord. I give this to you. I, it is yours, as I say, I lob it up to you, God. And Bray's like, no, you don't have to lob it to God. You literally just drop it. He is right there. He is so close. There's no distance to be covered in that request. Let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests be made known to God. God is a big, fat, not fat, but in a good, like, big, bulky way, rich father. He's, he might be, like, you know, hefty and not with jolliness. No, he is, he is a great, big father. That wants us wants to hear from us a request. 
And uh, this is a good illustration from Jesus as he was asked uh, in, his, in, his wander, uh, in his itinerant traveling ministries one time talking about prayer. And he says, look, ask, you'll be given. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. Whoever asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. He who knocks, the door will be opened. What is man? Who, what man is there among you? When his son asks for a loaf, there's that paternal father il- illustration again. When his son asks for a loaf of bread, will you give him a stone? Hey, Dad, can I, can I have some bread? No, but here's some uh, igneous rock for you. Chew on that for a while. Or what if he asks for a fish? Will he, will he give him a snake? Hey, Dad, can I have a fish? Snake! That's weird and messed up. No, he's like, no, good fathers or normal fathers won't, won't even do that kind of stuff to you. You then, here's Jesus, you who are evil, thanks Jesus, it's true, I know, but thanks a lot. Right? You who are evil, if you know how to give, give, give good gifts, you who are fallen, not perfect, you know how to give good gifts. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? So Joshua, in the story of the Scriptures, is about a really, 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 really big God who is for His children. Who is for His children. I believe this passage today and this whole series is calling on us, on me at least, to get after that reality. To get after that. If, that, if that's real, this is why I say it's an experimental thing today, a little experiment we'll do. If it's true that God is all these things, or heck, even half of the things we're hearing about, if that's true, and if God is for us, then what is the logical response in our lives and hearts as a community, as individuals, this right here is the most dangerous thing in our house. This here, right? See this? The most dangerous thing in our house. This is our prayer list. This is a list of things Bray writes, you already know, but still, dot, dot, dot. That's her, her prayer list to God. And we sat down in August 14th. We had gotten back from Hume Lake with our high schoolers up there. It was an awesome, beautiful time in the Sequoias. And we got up there, we started having a conversation. And Bray is just the most woman of faith because she's always pulling me along. Like, she goes, James, what, what do you want to believe God for this year? Because we think in terms of school years, not like, you know, annual, normal stuff. So we think of school years. What do you want from God? What, what do you trust Him for this year? And I'm like, um, I don't know. Like, maybe like a, my Corolla would keep running. You know, that's good. You know, like, no, what do you really trust God for? And we started writing things out, discussing with our own and hers. And you're writing, and eventually you're kind of getting all like, I'm underselling everything. I'm like, well, how about this? Like, really? That's it? That's what you trust God for? Like, is God real? What do you trust Him for? I'm like, ah, oh, good question, right? We started writing things down, and I'm telling you, it is eerie and freaky and amazing the fact that almost every single piece up here, you can't see it. No, you can see it. Almost every single piece up here, God has moved in such powerful ways, such massive ways. I could mention a million things. I'm not going to. Um, uh, but you can always look at the list if you want. It's, it's public now. Um, but, but so many pieces, as you, many of you know, there are some things that are just way bigger than what we can ask or imagine or trust God for. And, and Bray and I, for, for years since we were dating, we've always had in our mind that we wanted to have children if God would bless us with our own children. And then, and then also adopt children. Also have a couple out of the Foss Adopt program in Los Angeles County, which is like, we have one of the biggest crises in the world right now, well, in the nation, not world, right now, of, of foster kids. 50,000 kids in the system right now in Los Angeles County. And we've been praying about that for a long time. And um, 
And it's a scary thought to me, and it has been for a long time. Of like, I, I want to, Lord, I know I want to. And it seems all good. You get into marriage a little bit more, and you go, well, this could be a lot harder than I think. Marriage is tough enough with our own kids. Like, what am I going to do? You bring in children that have been faced abuse and neglect. Uh, we've got children that are two or younger, so we want to, if the Lord blesses us, to preserve the birth order and all that stuff. For those of you that know about that stuff. Um, and so we started praying. Among all the things on the list, the biggest piece for me, the most massive piece was for my own heart on this. Because I want it so bad, but I have so much fear. Right? I have fears in my heart. And as a guy, you think financially, and you think a lot of other fa- factors in the mix. And it went from me going, yeah, we'll do it. I know i got to do it. I know, I know God put it in our life and heart. We've got to do it because I want to, and I know the Lord wants us to. It went from that to, in the course of whatever months has gone by, like my heart's going to explode with love. It's just going to blow up. If we don't move forward, we had our first home visit um, with the uh, agency uh, on Friday. And I'm like, now, I'm the one, like, let's, I'm at all these meetings, like, we're talking to you, I'm asking all the questions, and Bray's like, can I ask a question too? Yeah, hold on, honey, I want to ask a few more things. Like, I'm really, like, God moved in my heart in a way that is just, you can't explain it other than the, the work of God and the prayer and the, and, the, and the people he brought around in my life, in our life. Uh, that have done this and, and that, are, that have stood with us in so much life and said, we're here with you. So that's a big, fat, massive thing. And it's going to be an ongoing, miraculous need for God's grace in this community of, of love to, to, to walk with us in as well. But that's a big thing. Here's what I would like you to do. This list, and i got a lot of other shallow things on here too. Like, God, I want a lot of publications and I want um, uh, a bigger house, that kind of stuff. Okay. So if you have a bigger house you want to give me, we're right here. Um, no, uh, th- this... This paper you have, and there's some more. Chris, would you pass them out if you don't have them? Here's what we want to do. We're going to move into communion time. And what I want you to do with the communion time, and um, we're, we're going to have a little bit of an extended, about, about 10 minutes. So, Brad, I don't know if I told you this, but um, we're going to, you're going to have to strum that guitar for a while, man. But it's, I know you're good at it. I want you to write two things on this list that are, are things you would want to trust God for this, um, this week, this month, this year, this season. Two things you want to trust God for, okay? I don't know what those are. Pray about it for a moment. Write them out. Two things I want to trust God for in my life, my family, and, and, and whatever. Two things. And then what I want you to do is write a third thing. And that third thing, make it something that is three times bigger than anything you had the guts to put on your list. Three times bigger. Okay? I don't know what that might mean to you. But jack it up a little bit. And get after it in prayer. Like truly, it's experimental. See what God does. As a community, we have, I don't know if I'm going to get feedback here, so I'll kind of shuffle. As a community, we have, uh, at the beach, we wrote some things. Just in our own lives today, uh, Julie Virgie's in Rwanda right now. We want to be praying for the Vietnamese churches that um, Bill and the team have been, have been ministering to. Uh, Sicily, uh, the, the, the um, Heitzer's granddaughter, who was in a coma for nine days. Little, I think, 10, 11-month-old, um, beautiful uh, baby girl uh, has come out and is responding and is interacting and seems herself and it's miraculous and it's big. And we're going to keep praying, as this church has been praying, for her. Um, uh, Kyle Pond, we want to keep Kyle Pond in our prayers as he continues that journey. He's doing good. 
with the cancer right now. He's doing good. We want to keep him in our prayers. Fran Virgie's uh, at this really awesome church in Long Beach. And here's a cool title. It's called Praise Temple Apostolic Church of Long Beach. Primarily African-American community that uh, he's uh, uh, with the, the Cal State Vice Chancellor. And he goes there to encourage students in the Lord and in uh, college. And he's there. We want to be praying for him. Uh, 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 Sam's passing with the Keating family. Um, uh, Betty Joe and the McPhee family. Junior high, high school, winter camp. The Windorf, uh, Dave and Christian, their home that, as many of you know, uh, uh, a huge chunk of it lost to the fire. A lot of things ruined. The Daniels, uh, their home. Uh, there's so, so many things. Joe Heitzer's health. Um, I have I have another bo- poster board. Chris, can you grab another poster board real quick? I, and... Um, I just want to say, uh, what else should we be praying for? There's a pen, too, by it. Anything else that that we want to be praying for uh, in this church uh, right now? I'm going to put this. Thank you. So I'll write it because my handwriting is so gorgeous. Anything? What do you want to pray for? Anyone? Missions pastor. Yes, we pray for a missions pastor. Missions pastor. Yeah, Henry. Henry's on here. You better believe it. We we are going. Henry Reed, seven-year-old, amazing young man. Four-year-old, amazing young man. He's going to be seventy-seven. We keep praying big time for this young man. We're going after it in prayer. He's got fighting leukemia. We're not going to stop praying for Henry. We're declaring that as a church. We're going after it in prayer with the big God that does things bigger than we can ask or imagine for peace for the family, for healing for little Henry. That's another thing we're going to be praying for. Yeah, what else? What else we got? Anything as a community? Yes, please. Children's workers. Jesus was all about the children. I'm putting this one right over here. Now I'll let it sit there. There's a lot of kids... And we want to pray for children's workers. Good. Anything else? What else? Anything else? Pedophiles. Okay, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Yes. Anything else? All right, I'm going to leave the pen next to this. Yeah, Bill. High school, junior high, winter camp over there. I'm going to leave, the, I'm going to leave this by the ta- I'm going to put this one by the table too, I guess. I'll put it over there somewhere. Um, what we're going to do is Brad's going to pray for a little bit. I'm going to invite you to take communion. We just The bread is all cut up over here. The, the juice, the bread representing the body of Christ that he broke for us to, to deal with the problem of our sin, to deal with the problem of human um, uh, uh, rebellion and violence and all that and then the blood that represents his blood it's a new a new deal for us a new covenant and we're just going to take the next um, uh, five eight minutes and what I'd like you to do it can get noisy in here if we need to if you're new with us and you haven't not a follower of Jesus you can watch us in our natural habitat kind of how we roll our locomotion if you will and what I'd like you to do is get some communion if you'd like to and then I might move that poster board over there and that one over here and just kind of gather around and pray. Just like gather around and pray for things. Maybe arm around someone near you if you want to sit quietly and pray over your list. And then Brad will kick in with some music with the band in like, I don't know, like four or five minutes or something like that. And then we will uh, continue on, okay? So we're getting after it in prayer. Crazy experimental. Uh, let, me, uh, let me release this with some prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is for us. 
You are the God who is um, our advocate, a powerful, powerful Father who loves us. And Lord, as we get, get some time to pray, Lord, I, I ask that you'd be building faith in us, but also um, you'd be working. And Jesus, we, we know that it's all because of you. So we pray uh, as your followers. Amen. All right, let's do it. So feel free to get up, pray, um, huddle up, sit quietly, whatever you'd like.